0: This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This is episode number 58, entitled, What Does Son of God Mean in Luke, Part 1? As always, the Biblical Unitarian Podcast is the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I am your host. We are continuing our studies on how the four gospel writers understand the title Son of God. Moving on now to the Gospel of Luke. Luke used Mark as a literary source and therefore adopts much of Mark's understanding on this important title. Mark, as we saw in our previous two episodes, depicts Jesus as the royal Son of God, whose role is expanded to be a suffering and rejected figure. There was no hint within Mark's Gospel that Son of God was a pre existent figure alongside God in heaven, or even that Son of God was Yahweh Himself. Rather, the Son of God was a messianic human king in and through God's ruling purposes, were to find their climax. How does Luke, who probably wrote his gospel 15 years after the Gospel of Mark, contribute to our ongoing understanding of the title, Son of God? This will be our topic for our study in this episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Luke is a massive gospel the largest of the four canonical biographies of Jesus, by both word count and verse count. So our survey of what Luke means, with Jesus' title, Son of God, will cover multiple episodes. Does Luke offer an interpretation of Son of God that is consistent with Mark's representation of Jesus? Or does Luke offer a high Christology of a pre-existing God who becomes a man? Let's check it out in our study as we begin. Our first point today is called, Son of God Announced for the First Time in Luke. This passage is in Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 33. This passage reads, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. That's Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 33. We can see in this passage that the angel Gabriel announces to Mary, the mother of Jesus, the identity and the vocation of her soon-to-be-born son. For me, the first thing that jumps off the page is the utterly clear declaration that Jesus... The Son of the Most High will fulfill the promises made to King David. One can actually see a point by point fulfillment of the promises covenanted to David back in 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 16. We can look back there and compare what is said here in Luke chapter 1. We can see that God promises to raise up David's seed in 2 Samuel 7, 12. And Luke says that David is Jesus' ancestor, or Jesus' father. We can also note that God promises that David's throne would endure forever. That's in 2 Samuel 7, verses 13 and in verse 16. And, of course, Luke says that Jesus will receive the throne of David. We also can see that God promises David an enduring kingdom that's in Second Samuel 7, verses 12 and 16. And of course, Luke says that Jesus' kingdom will have no end, thus reigning forever. So there we can see that Luke intends to depict Jesus with a point-by-point fulfillment of the promises made to David in the Davidic covenant of 2 Samuel 7. As the Son of the Most High, Jesus is distinct from the Most High God acting as a son. These are distinct figures, but it is clear that the son is a special person in and through whom the Most High is enacting his rule and reign. The passage also differentiates the Lord God from Jesus by saying that, quote, the Lord God will give him the throne, end quote. Luke never confuses Jesus and the Lord God can also note that Luke equates the Son of God, being the Son of the Most High, with the Son of David in this passage, because he calls Jesus the Son of his father, David. So there we have the two titles, Son of God and Son of David. Son of David was a title referencing the expected messianic king that was to be a human descendant from David. So, Son of God continues to maintain its royal, kingly overtones in addition to its Davidic roles. As a descendant of David, the son of David clearly is a human being like David. David was a human being, and David bore human descendants, and so the son of David would clearly be a human figure. Neither Yahweh nor any angel could fit the description as a descendant of David from the human being, David. So that's our first passage in Luke 1, verses 31 through 33. Our second point today is looking at the Son of God as miraculously born. The passage in Luke 1 continues in verses 34 through 35. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. That's Luke chapter 1, verses 34 through 35. And wow, this is a really important passage. This announcement from Gabriel is absolutely crucial and contains within it a significant amount of crucial data. The manner in which Jesus was to be born is described in this passage. We can see that the Holy Spirit functions as the creative agent in this process. And Luke carefully parallels the Holy Spirit with, quote, the power of the Most High. We can see in the first stanza that it says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the second stanza has, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This is meant to be a synonymous parallelism. The Holy Spirit is understood as the power of the Most High, and the act of the Holy Spirit coming upon Mary is the same thing as the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary. It should also be noted that the verbs come upon and overshadow are not sexual terms in any way. In other words, there is no sexual activity described here between God, or God's Holy Spirit, and Mary. Interpreters would be wise to stop saying that God had sex with Mary. That is not what Luke one thirty-five is saying, neither in the English or in the original Greek. But more importantly, there is a direct link between the creative activity of the Spirit's overshadowing of Mary and the title Son of God given to Jesus. Again, I'll read that passage in Luke one thirty-five. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. In other words, Jesus will be called the Son of God, according to Luke one thirty-five, specifically because of the miraculous creative activity of the Spirit. There is no hint or suggestion that the Son is a pre-existent figure in heaven who descends into Mary's womb, rather, Jesus is begotten, as the Greek text actually says in Luke 1:35, and the word begotten in birth narratives refers to one who is brought into existence. And if Jesus is brought into existence at his birth then he categorically could not have previously existed in any literal way. We can also note in this passage that God is identified as the actual Father of Jesus, namely, the one who brought Jesus into existence with the creative act of the Holy Spirit. So while the Davidic covenant of 2 Samuel 7.14 says that God will be the father of David's descendants, there is a different sense in the way that God is the father of Jesus than God being the father of, say, Solomon. Solomon was the son of God as the Davidic king, son of God being Solomon's royal title. Jesus is the son of God both in that he bears the royal title covenanted to David's descendants and in regard to the fact that God is his actual father. So Luke here is combining those titles in reference to Jesus. Of further interest is the creation theme that is actually taking place here in this passage. When one thinks of an episode in the Hebrew Bible where God uses his spirit to create a royal son of God, the obvious candidate is the creation of Adam, the primordial human king. Luke seems to be alluding to the Genesis creation story, where, according to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters moments before creation actually took place. Luke parallels this by saying that the Spirit overshadowed Mary prior to the creative beginning of the Son of God. Luke will later, in his genealogy, call Adam the Son of God, in Luke chapter 3 and verse 38. So it seems clear that the creation of Jesus by the Spirit in Luke one thirty-five is echoing the creation of Adam in Genesis. Since Adam is a human king, it is interesting that Jesus is depicted also as a human king. Lastly, the creation of Jesus as Son of God in parallel to the creation of the primordial Son of God, Adam, indicates that the new creation has begun with Jesus. That's very important for Luke and Luke's theology. Our third point today is looking at Son of God at the age of twelve. I've got to link the narrative here in Luke chapter two, starting in verse forty-one. This passage reads, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he became twelve, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending a full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan, and went a day's journey, and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then, After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. That's Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 51. A lengthy passage, but we get a lot of interesting information here about Jesus and his self-understanding as the Son of God. This passage contains the first occurrence in Luke where Jesus speaks in regard to his role as Son of God. Previously, as we've seen, the angel has announced that Jesus is the Son of God, but this is the first occurrence where Jesus announces his role as the Son of God, as the Son of the Father. In doing so, Luke juxtaposes Jesus' sense of sonship between the household of God, the Father, and the household of Joseph, while remaining submissive to both households. Luke makes it an emphasis to note the differing families within this narrative, describing Joseph and Mary twice as, quote, his parents, and even places Joseph's role as the head of the household in emphasis with Mary's rebuke of Jesus, Mary saying, quote, your father and I, end quote. Jesus, of course, responds that he had to be in my father's house. Again, he had to be in my father's house. Jesus is not choosing his role as the son of God to the neglect of his role as the son within Joseph's household, since the narrative continues by noting that Jesus, quote, continued in subjection to them in Luke 2.51. Jesus is, however, placing his role within the household of God as the Son of God as more important than his role as the Son of Mary and Joseph. In fact, the Greek verb, the, translated here as I had to, signals the necessity of Jesus' decision. And Luke regularly uses this verb in both the Gospel and Acts to indicate the salvific necessity of the action That is taking place. In other words, Jesus was duty bound to be about his Father's business and affairs within the Father's temple. At the young age of 12, Jesus demonstrates awareness of his role as the Son of God. And the Son of God within the temple setting indicates a royal figure, albeit a royal Son of God who is in waiting. There is no indication within this passage about Jesus' initial comments referring to his role as the Son of God that his awareness of said role is due to any sort of pre-existence or ontological relationship with God. God is still the Father, namely the Father of Jesus. Jesus describes God as my Father. So, in conclusion... We have observed that the Gospel of Luke begins with a variety of references to Jesus as the Son of God, even before he was born. For Luke, Jesus is the royal and messianic Son of God who is to fulfill the role of the Davidic Messiah. Jesus is a lineal descendant from David, meaning he is a human being. As the Son of David, Jesus is the royal king who clearly comes after David, not before him. Furthermore, as the Davidic son of God, Jesus will occupy the throne of David and possess a kingdom with no end. Luke goes on to indicate that Jesus' coming into existence is due to the creative act of the Holy Spirit. In doing so, Luke regards Jesus as A son of God like Adam, meaning he is a human being designated as God's king and God's son. As a young child, Jesus acknowledges his role openly as son of God by speaking of God as his father while studying in the temple. Thus far in Luke's gospel, son of God is a title referring to a figure who is the son of David and... A specially created king like Adam. Luke gives the readers no indication that Son of God was a title for a pre existent being who became human, nor does Luke suggest that the Son of God is Yahweh himself. Rather, Jesus as Son of God was created by God. He is always distinguished from God and declares that God is, quote, my Father, end quote. Luke appears to regard Jesus within what may be appropriately called a high human Christology. If you enjoyed the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, please consider supporting us. You can check out this episode's description for a link to our PayPal. You can also access the Biblical Unitarian Podcast online, along with the notes for the podcast. You can check it out online, on iTunes, and recently we have now been placed on Spotify. We also have a Facebook group for discussing podcast episodes. Just go on to Facebook and search Biblical Unitarian Podcast and send a request to join. Thank you so much for joining us today at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to begin conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. My name is Dustin Smith. Until next time, you folks take care.